Bible, would you go with me, please, to the 16th Psalm, 16th Psalm this morning. We're going to be concluding our sermon series this morning on breaking boundaries and possessing promise. Children of Israel in the book of Joshua have taken possession of the land of their promise. Today I would like to share with you a few passages out of this psalm, which lay out for us the great possession and the great inheritance of the children of God. Psalm 16, a psalm of David. Let's begin at verse 5 if you have it. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup, the support of my lot. The lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart will be glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Can you say amen? Father, we thank you for your holy, powerful, inspired word this morning. I pray that you would anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And I pray that you would anoint the hearing of this congregation, that in hearing the word they might receive it into the fertile soil of their hearts. And I ask that you would do this for the glory of your son Jesus. We pray in his name. And the church said amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. The book of Joshua contains three major parts of the story. If you look at the outline of the book of Joshua, you will notice that the first few chapters deal with the preparation for the promised land. This reminds us that whenever you're going to receive a promise from God or go to a new level in your spiritual life, there will be a season of preparation. There is always a time God sets apart to prepare you and to consecrate you for his purpose in your life and for his purpose in your day. Sometimes we can describe that time as a wilderness experience, a time when we have to go through the cutting away of the flesh and the cutting away of impurity so that we might be able to be useful and pleasing to the Lord. For the scripture says, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord but he who has clean hands and a pure heart. And so Israel went in the first few chapters of the book through a series of preparations. And then we get to the middle of the book and the the center section of the book talks about the conquest of the promised land. This reminds us that every time we're going to go to a new level or achieve a new thing for God or with God, that there will be a season of conquest. There will be a time for struggle. You and I are engaged in a great spiritual battle, which the Apostle Paul called the good fight of faith. You might say, Pastor Isaac, I'm not a fighter. I don't wish to fight. But the fact is that the moment that you enlisted in the army of Christ, 
you engaged in the good fight of faith. And whether you know it or not, each day you're going to have to face an enemy whose end is destruction for your soul and the life of your family. And so there is going to be a fight. But it is a good fight of faith. It is a fight that you and I engage in in the spirit. The Bible says that we have not been given weapons of the physical, but rather the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to God, through God to the de- tearing down of strongholds. We have been given the armor of God for our defense, and we have been put in a place of victory in the midst of battle. So if you're in the good fight this morning, let me just encourage you with this, that you are going to win because Jesus Christ has appointed you to win. I said, you are going to win. You might feel like pastor right now. If you knew what I was going through, you would you would think I was going to lose. But I have this assurance that whoever obeys God wins in the end. And you can't lose by obeying and pursuing God. And so there is a, a moment, a time in life, but there is that struggle. Maybe some of you know the struggle of fighting for your marriage. And you have had to fight tooth and nail to keep that bond, that unity in that marriage. You have maybe had to fight or struggle for a loved one, maybe a lost son or daughter or a rebellious teenager. And you know the tears that come with that spiritual warfare. Maybe some of you have stood in the gap over this church and you have fought in the spirit and made war in your spirit over this house and and asked God to bless it and indeed he has and will continue to do so. I don't know what your struggle is, but I know that you are not alone in the fight because God is present with the warrior in the midst of battle and he will assure us of the victory. Then we get to the third part of the book of Joshua. And this is the part of the possession. Not too many verses are quotable out of this part of Scripture. I have never seen anybody put a verse on their on their uh, uh, refrigerator that said, "And Issachar possessed the land." You know, that's just not one of those things that you quote. It has a meticulous listing of all of the places that belong to the different tribes. And this part of the Scripture reminds us that there is a season of preparation. There is a season of conquest, but then there comes a season of possession. There comes a day when you and I finally receive the reward of our labor, when we will finally receive the the place of the promise of God. And that requires our possession. For you see, God said to Israel, I will give you houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig, vineyards you didn't plant, And now in the latter part of the book, we see that the nation of Israel has gathered under their leader, Joshua. And Joshua, that Old Testament type of Christ, begins to appoint to every tribe the part of the promised land that would belong to them. He says to the sons of of Judah, you're going to be over there. To the sons of Issachar, over there. To the sons of, uh, of Zebulun, over there. And on and on, he gives them their portion. Now, I don't have the time this morning to give you all the details of what the tribes received. But I just want to focus on one tribe as we look through this psalm and see the inheritance of the believer. The Bible tells us, if you go back to the book of Genesis... That the family of Jacob, the family tree 
out of which the Messiah would be born was not a perfect family tree. Any of you from a perfect family tree? That's kind of what I was thinking. We all have a few bent and broken branches in our family tree, don't we? Well, the scripture tells us that Jacob took a wrong turn. He, he made a decision and went out of the will of God. And he ended up in a city called Shechem. And Shechem became a place that would be infamous in the life of the patriarch Jacob and in the lives of his sons. From that day forward, Shechem would have a stain upon their memory. It would be a blot on the timeline of their family because it was a place where they had departed from the will of God. All of us, whether we admit it or not, have a Shechem. We have a moment where we took a detour that was not part of God's will for our life. We made a decision that cost us deeply. We, we created a, a situation that we later couldn't live with. We surrounded ourselves with people that after a while we couldn't get rid of. And those Shechem's happen in your life. You ever been to Shechem? Anybody in here? Well, the scripture says that in Shechem, Jacob's daughter was raped. She was raped by the men of Shechem. And then as a reaction, very naturally, the, her brothers um, began to plot a way to take revenge over their sister. And so you can understand the natural frustration of these brothers having come to this city. And now their, their, their little sister has been raped. And this tragedy has occurred in the family because they have departed from the will of God. But have you ever done this? What they did, they added sin to sin. Have you ever added sin to sin? Have you added, ever added dumb on top of dumb? Have you ever added one bad decision on top of another bad decision? I think I'm hitting them. I think I'm hitting some home runs this morning because I know we have all been there. We have all added bad to bad and worse to worse. That's what they did. They added sin on top of sin. It'd been bad enough if I quit while I was behind, but I decided to get behind her. Right? I decided to get even further back, and these guys plotted and they killed the entire body of men of Shechem. They slaughtered the men of Shechem. This is the family tree of the Messiah. Jacob's sons, Isaac's grandsons, Abraham's great-grandsons. Tragedy at the hands of God's people. Jacob found out about this. He was enraged. He called for those, those boys to come in. And when he called in, these, his, his, men, his sons, now grown men, and he begins to pronounce over them what they had done. And the scripture says that because Simeon was this, the brother who led this plot, that Jacob cursed him. He said, Simeon, you will not have a part of the promised land. You shall have no inheritance. Simeon, of course, is one of the twelve. And if you know the story of Israel, you know that several hundred years later, they depart from Egypt. Now under the leadership of Joshua, they have arrived at the promised land. Now there you have the great mass of Israel. As Joshua begins to point out to each tribe what belongs to them. You can imagine the excitement and the intensity of the moment. 
As each tribe begins to be given their portion, Joshua calls one tribe and then the other and then the other. And that one after another, those children I can imagine pulling on their daddy's uh, sleeve and saying, what are we going to get? Where are we going to live? Just wait, just wait. Joshua hasn't gotten to us yet. What are we going to, are we going to have a lake? Are we going to have a river? Are we going to be by the ocean? Just wait, just wait. But Joshua hasn't gotten to us yet. And on goes the list. And finally, chapter 19 kind of reveals in a concealed way that the, the, the tribe of Simeon got no inheritance. You can imagine being the one tribe. Now we're talking about more than a man. Now this is more than just Simeon. This is now Simeon's descendants. This is, this is now a nation. A small country is now waiting for a portion that they were cursed out of. I must remind you this morning that sin is never personal. It has, a it has an effect on everything it touches. The drunk things thinks nobody will be hurt by my drinking, but the fact is that somebody's watching him. His son or his daughter is watching him. The drug addict thinks nobody is going to be affected by this, but somebody is being touched by that sin. Somebody is being scarred by that. And friend, Simeon's tribe is now Simeon's long dead, but they're still reaping the reward and the repercussion of their father's sin. They're still reaping the tragedy of Shechem. Maybe you're wondering this morning, Pastor, will I ever outlive my Shechem? Will I ever outlive the place of my brokenness? Will I ever outlive the place where I messed up and messed up on top of messed up? Will I ever outlive my bad, bad past? Well, here you have the story of Simeon. Bible tells us that they received no inheritance. But in the 19th chapter of Joshua, we find a very encouraging portion of scripture in the text where it says that Simeon was given a portion within Judah because Judah's territory was too great. I want to paint in your picture in your mind the picture of this tribe. They have arrived at the last of the tribes. Everyone has been given a portion except for Simeon. The tribe has been left out. This was the curse of Simeon's sin. And this is the very thing that Adam did to the human race at the garden when he sinned against God. He left us outside of the covenants of God, without hope and without God in the world. But then the tribe of Judah steps up. And Judah raises their hand and says, you know what? Our portion is too great for us. We don't have enough people to possess this entire, tri this entire portion. They said, Simeon, why don't you come over with us and have a portion inside of Judah? Can I tell you, church, that 2,000 years ago, the lion of the tribe of Judah went to the cross. And he made room that you and I might have an inheritance in his righteousness and through his blood. He called us over and said, hey, you who are sinners, you are lost and done without hope and without God. Come and have a share in my inheritance. That's why the psalmist said, the Lord is my portion and my inheritance. God has given you an inheritance in his son. Somebody ought to get excited this morning because you and I have an inheritance in Jesus Christ. He is the portion of our inheritance. In Him, we have righteousness, which we could not earn. 
In Him, we have the inheritance of peace with God. In Him, we have the inheritance of mercy. In Him, we have the inheritance of compassion. In Him, we have the inheritance of justification. In Him, we have the inheritance of righteous, of redemption. In Him, we have the inheritance of divine healing. In Him, we have the inheritance of restoration. In Him, we have the inheritance of an eternal hope. In Him, we have the inheritance of an eternal life. Somebody ought to give God praise for His Son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. The Lord is my inheritance. You know, we get all caught up about heaven. Am I going to have a mansion? Is it going to have a big white porch? Is there going to be a big marriage supper? You know what? I don't care about any of that. I'm sure it will be sweet. But what I want to see is Jesus because Jesus is my prize. Jesus is my reward. Jesus, he is my inheritance. The writer of the book of Hebrews put it like this. He said the patriarchs, they left the promise, they left the Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham left. And they did not return, although they had the opportunity to do so, because they were looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. When you read that text, you discover that the city that Abraham was looking for was not the city of Jerusalem. It was not even the new city of Jerusalem. He was looking for the man, Christ Jesus, the inheritance of the believer, the one who trusts in God by faith. You and I this morning, as, as we read through this psalm, I want you to act like you're sitting in front of a lawyer who's reading out the will of a very wealthy, uh, a very wealthy benefactor. Your relative has left you an eternal inheritance. Do you want to know what's in it? Do you want to know what's in it? Oh, you, you act like there's 10 bucks in this thing for you. I said, do you want to know what's in it? Well, let's read on verse 6. It says, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. This inheritance is a pleasant inheritance. Now, you and I may not understand this passage very clearly because of the cultural difference. But let me just put it to you like this. When God gave a tribe a portion, he was basically drawing out the line for them. To some of them, he gave desert. To some of them, he gave river. To some of them, he gave coastline. He drew a line around them. Just as he draws a line around you and I. That line is the line of life. The Bible says there is a line which no man can cross. He has given to each one a perfect outline of the things that he was, will give into our life. And the psalmist makes this declaration and he makes it by faith. As you and I must make by faith. He says the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. In other words, God has drawn a line around my life and it is a good line. Sometimes we struggle with that because we go through life struggles and we think, God, why did you draw this into my life? We go through sometimes moments of battle and difficulty and we say, God, why did you draw this into my life? Sometimes we go through moments of loss and we say, God, why did you draw this into my life? 
Sometimes we go through moments of great joy and we celebrate that God has drawn those things into our life. And so we must say by faith that the lines have fallen to us in pleasant places. I can say this for sure, that what God allows in my life is good. Even if at times it is, it is perplexing and complicated and difficult to understand. But God is good in what he allows in my life. And friend, he's also good in what he doesn't allow in your life. Have you ever prayed for things that later you just said, Lord, thank you for not giving me that. I heard a story of a governor. He went to visit the insane asylum, and he was on the first floor where the moderate cases were, and he found a woman there rocking back and forth, a man rocking back and forth saying, Lulu, Lulu. He said, what's up with him? He said, this guy wanted to marry a girl named Lulu. She wouldn't marry him. There he was, Lulu, Lulu. The governor got up to the third floor, and he found a man in a straitjacket bouncing off the wall saying, Lulu, Lulu. And the governor said, what's with him? He said, that's the guy that married Lulu. (laughs) God is good in what he does not allow. I said, God is good in what he does not allow. Come on, you might be crying over somebody that walked out. Let them walk. God is good in what he does not allow. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. I don't always understand him, but he's good. I don't always get it, but he's good. I don't always even agree, but God is good. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places, and my heritage is beautiful. Beautiful inheritance. Number three, he said, verse seven, I will bless the Lord who counsels me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I don't know if you have discovered yet, I hope you have, the great inheritance of being counseled by the Lord. Have you learned to hear his voice? You say, preacher, I'm not a preacher. I can't hear God's voice. Friend, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So if you are a sheep in the sheepfold of God, then you can hear the voice of the shepherd. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and another they will not follow. We sing in the hymn. We say, oh, the pure delight of a single hour. When before the throne I spend, and I kneel in prayer, and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. This is the sweet fellowship of the believer with God. And this is the inheritance of God's counsel. Oh friend, there is great counsel that can be found in the word of God. When you open the the sacred book and you come to it with a hungry and thirsty soul, God will see to it that his word will leap out into your spirit and bring life and bring counsel and wisdom and understanding. There is the sweet counsel of the preaching of God's word. How many times have we been discouraged or bewildered or lost in our thoughts and yet the preaching of the word of God comes right in time and in due season and brings revival to our soul what sweet counsel there is in the preaching of the word of God but there is a counsel more intimate than that there is that counsel you and I receive in the place 
of prayer. When you have shut off your phone and you have sent out your last email and you get into that prayer closet and you begin to commune with God. You begin to speak with the Almighty as you would speak with a friend and he hushes your soul and speaks life into your spirit. Oh, the counsel of the voice of God. Oh, the counsel of the Spirit of God. How many times with tears have you come to this altar and found your soul relieved by the counsel Counsel of God's voice. I remember as a young or younger man in college, the day was coming when our tuition was due. It was that day where if you didn't have it paid, you're going to have to move out. No more school, no more classes. So I was very worried because I had a balance due. And it was a significant amount for a college student. Anything is a significant amount. But this was a significant amount of money. And I I was very worried about it, so I went the day before, and I asked how much I owed. I don't know really why I did that, because I didn't have any money to pay, but I just wanted to worry about it better, right? You ever done that? You just need to worry about it some be- a little better. So I wanted to worry about it. I went and asked, and so I started really worrying. Now, I didn't know where I was going to be able to do this. I said, you know what? My days at DBU are over. I guess it's done. And my, my uh, heart was broken. That night I went to bed, and I was tossing and turning in bed like a door on hinges, right? Just back and forth. Could not sleep. You ever done that? You ever lost sleep over things you couldn't control? Just worrying about things. And here I was worrying. And then suddenly I felt the voice of God. He said to me, he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And the counsel of God's word came into my heart. Because the verse says, even by night, even by night he teaches me. Even while I'm laying there with my eyes wide open and my soul stirred up, the spirit of God comes to teach me. He comes to relieve my soul. He comes to counsel me. That next morning, I went to work there on campus. I got to my desk, and there was an inner office memo. It said, a report to the office of Dr. Cook. That was the president of the college. And I didn't even know Dr. Cook knew who I was. So I went over to meet with Dr. Cook, and he said, Isaac, he said, this morning, very early, I received a, a phone call from a couple. They said they had a scholarship they wanted to give uh, to a very worthy student. He said, and you are the first person the Holy Spirit put on my heart. He said, I already sent the money over. Your bill has been paid. Can I tell you, church, there is sweet counsel in the voice of God. Somebody ought to give God praise. Because someday that's going to be your college student. Someday that's going to be your miracle. That you're going to be able to say, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. He counsels me. He teaches me. I'm so glad that God is a teacher. He's a teacher. Not everyone is a teacher. Some people don't have any patience to teach. God will walk with you and wait with you and reteach you. Some days I feel like he's got, he's got me by the hand. So we're going to do this again. Try this again. But we're going to learn how to do this. Some days I feel like he says, okay, Isaac, I'm going to run alongside of you holding the seat of the bike. And then when you get some momentum, I'm going to let you go. And like a father, he counsels our heart. Verse 8 says, I have set the Lord before me continually. 
Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Here is another precious part of the believer's inheritance. For here we find that when God is present, we have stability. Can you say that this morning? Stability? How many of you could use a little stability in your life? God says in his word that stability is part of our inheritance. It says here that because the Lord is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I won't be moved. Yes, sometimes the storms come and the winds blow. And it seems like I'm going to be moved out of my place, like I'm going to be uprooted. But when the storm passes and the clouds are gone and the rain is dried up and the the sun shines again, I find that I'm still standing. I'm still enduring. I'm still able to stand because he is with me. Can I remind you this morning that if God be for you, then who can be against you? He will give you stability. He will make you strong. He'll help you to withstand and to stand firm. Is he at your right hand? Is he the first one you call? Or do you call him second? Or third or fourth? Do you call him last? Or is he your right hand? Lord, I need you. Lord, help me. Lord, deliver me. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices, and my flesh also will dwell securely. Here we find the believer's inheritance of rest. You see, God not only wants you to be stable, but he wants you to have rest. These two things I believe this morning are desperately needed in some of your hearts. Stability and rest. You're tired of having an unstable spiritual life. Some days you're up, some days you're down. Some days you're in, some days you're out. Some days you're a heathen, some days you're a saint. And God says, I want to make you stable. And I want to give you rest. I want to give you rest. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. And I will, not I might, but I will give you rest. Rest. Rest from sin. Rest from anxiety. Rest from fear, rest from worry, rest from your past, rest from your circumstances. He wants to give you rest. The promised land, as one of the definitions of its name, is a land of rest. A land where the children of Israel would finally find rest. I want you to think about this. For 400 years they were slaves in Egypt. For 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. No rest. No rest. No respite from their work. So it is, the Bible tells us that there is no rest for the wicked. You might be living a life for sin and sin will run you ragged and it will wear you out. Only in Christ will you find rest and peace for your soul. I said only in Christ can you find rest and peace for your soul. And so the Bible tells us that after this long period of time where they had labored and someone else took the reward of their labor. And they had wandered without being able to find a home. Finally now they arrive to the promised land and they've been given their inheritance They've been given houses they didn't dig or wells they didn't dig and houses they didn't build and vineyards they didn't plant. 
And now they're sitting at a table. And they're eating fresh baked bread, not manna. Somebody say amen. It's, it's, uh, let me just put it to you like this. It's nice when God gives you manna. That's miracle food every day. But it's, it's more than that. God wants you to have more than miracle food. Just, just living hand to mouth. He wants more than that for you. I thought I was talking to Kingsway Church this morning. I said he wants more than that for you. He wants to bring you to a place of abundance. I said he wants to bring you to a place of abundance. I'm going to need a little faith in the house of God this morning. He wants to bring you beyond just the daily, the daily manna. He brings them now. They're sitting at the table. It's no longer manna, but it's fresh baked bread. And now they're drinking water, and it's water not from the rock, but water that comes from the well that they themselves drew. And now they're drinking that, that wine, and it's not, it's not uh, water anymore, but now it's the wine of the vineyard that they have been cultivating. And now they're eating olives, and these are the olives that they have cultivated. And now they're eating pomegranates, and this is the pomegranates of the promised land. And now they're eating some fresh made uh, grape jelly because God has provided rest for their people. For his people. They're sitting at the table. The wilderness is past. The trouble of yesteryear, yesteryear is past. It's now a faint memory. Egypt was a long, long time ago. Can I tell you, friend, maybe you think, Pastor, that day will never come for me. I'll never have a day when I can just sit around the table with my family and enjoy the blessing and the favor of God. Can I tell you that if you will move onward and upward in your faith, that God will give you rest and God will make his abundance flow into your life. You too will be able someday to sit around the table and rejoice. And the, the old Egypt will be gone. Some of you were drug addicts, but on that day you won't even remember about your drug addiction. Some of you were alcoholics, but on that day you won't remember about your alcoholism. Some of you were liars and cheaters, but on that day you'll be a man of honor and integrity. I said, God will give you rest. Come on, somebody. He is our rest. Hallelujah. Then verse 10 connects to this passage where it says, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You see, God not only wants to give you rest here on earth, but he wants to give you eternal rest. You see, there is life beyond this life. Life doesn't end with the funeral. That's where it began. If you're a believer in Christ, there is a promised land waiting for you. I lost my mother and father within two years of one another. I, have, I believe today heaven is more real because they're there. 
A part of me is in heaven waiting for me. I can't wait till I get to the, to, the, to the gates of heaven and I get to see all the saints who've gone before. And friend, what a joy that will be on that great reunion day when the church of the living God enters the eternal city of Jerusalem where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, no more sin, no more curse, and no more need for the sun. For the Lamb will be the light of that city. Hallelujah. We're going onward to the place called heaven to the glory of our God he will not abandon my soul to shield nor my nor will his servant see corruption you see the grave is not the end the grave is just a temporary thing because the day will come when the trump of God will sound and the dead in Christ will rise incorruptible and imperishable to meet the Lord in the air hallelujah can you say hallelujah What a precious inheritance. I told you the other day that that Islam believes that depending on Allah's mood, when you get to the gate of heaven, he might or might not let you in depending on his mood. Hallelujah, we don't have a moody God. The cross has made heaven a reality and it is a sure thing. It is a done deal because of the blood of Jesus. Verse 11. You make me know the path of life. And in your presence there is the fullness In his presence, there is the fullness of joy. You know, I've been in the presence of the President of the United States. Not this one, but the last one. It was pretty cool. But it wasn't the fullness of joy. I'm in the presence of, I'm in the presence of ambassadors. But it wasn't the fullness of joy. There's only one place I've ever been where I experienced perfect joy and perfect peace, perfect calm. That was the presence of God. Doesn't matter if I was in the kitchen or the car. The front pew or the back row. Didn't matter if I was on Prayer Mountain in South Korea or Kingsway Church, Beville, Texas. I've never known a sweeter place than his presence. In his presence, my fears subside. In his his presence, my arguments are laid to rest. In his presence, peace comes like a river. In his presence, there is life. His presence It's the fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. What an inheritance. What a precious inheritance. We were outsiders looking in, but now we are insiders. Strangers and foreigners from God, but now we are sons and daughters of the King. 
We were on the outside in our sin, but now we're on the inside in His righteousness. In His presence, there is the fullness of joy. I've experienced His presence at the, at the bedside of a loved one. I've experienced His presence at the deathbed of a loved one. I've experienced His presence in my prayer closet. I've experienced His presence in the schoolhouse. I've experienced His presence in the multitude. Even while others weren't experiencing Him. Wherever you make room for God, He'll come. He'll invade the space you give Him. I said, He'll invade the space you give Him. With all of Himself. If you will worship Him, His presence will fill your soul. 